Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, for all of us who are looking for faith and spirituality outside the fences and walls of institutional Christianity. Before we get into the episode, I'd like to quickly remind you, as always, you can find all of the content that our team is creating for our community on our website, accidentaltomatoes.com. You can go there to find all of the back episodes of the podcast and also a variety of articles on issues regarding faith, justice, and liberation. Accidental Tomatoes is the official content site for New Wineskins, a non-traditional, liberation-oriented online faith community rooted in deep, authentic conversation. If you're looking for a community where you can express your deepest doubts, ask your hardest questions, and be welcomed unconditionally, feel free to visit one of our weekly Zoom gatherings. You can learn more by visiting newwineskinsnetwork.org. My co-host for this episode is our own Jenny Williams, founder of Justice and Jubilee and the West Virginia Faith Leaders Network. And our guest for the episode is our friend Daniel Cooper, a singer-songwriter and high school teacher from Eastern Tennessee, who led a songwriting class through the process of recording and releasing an album of mostly original songs. Jenny and I talk with Daniel about what that process was like, the insights that grew out of it, and his own personal deconstruction journey that serves as the backdrop for all of his own artistic expression. So please join me in giving a warm Accidental Tomatoes welcome to Daniel Cooper. Um, it was it was almost this blessing. It was a gift to say, no, there's time for some longing. There's time for you to say everything is dying out there, like the leaves on the trees and all the plants and all that kind of stuff. But but also like not everything is OK. And you're allowed to pay attention to that during this season. Well, hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. We have got an exciting guest for you today. This is this is a guy um, I've been hoping, it's been probably two or three years since we had our very first conversations about all of this, but uh, we're really excited to have Daniel Cooper on the podcast today. Um, but before we give Daniel a chance to introduce himself, I am so excited to have Jenny Williams in the co-host chair today. Hi, Jenny. Hey, how's everybody? Good, good. How you doing? Good. I mean, I like Joe and everything and, uh, you know, always glad to get to do this with Joe. But Joe was like, hey, Daniel's coming. And I said, yeah, I'm there. And so yeah, let's yeah. Do it. I, I, I forgot to text and tell you no fangirling during the, the interview. It's going to be hard. I know, I know. <laughs> no, fangirling is fine. It's I've, I've been known to do it myself. So <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's kind of get to it here. Our, our guest today is uh, is my friend Daniel Cooper. Daniel is a teacher and a musician um, who Jenny and I met at the Wild Goose Festival. Well, actually, we kind of met through like the like online before we even like got together in person at Wild Goose, didn't we? Or I can't I think so. I, no? I don't know. Go ahead, Daniel. I think that's how it. I think it was the Collection Connection group. Uh, and then we met up through that. I I met up with Jenny at some restaurant in Abingdon, Virginia. Oh, that's right. Uh, you we, guys went we to a collection both. concert together. Right. Yeah. So yeah. we met each other. And then I I think, Joe, you and I might have met first at Wild Goose and then connected, like realized that we were both Maybe, just sort of yeah. through Jenny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that could be. As, as always, Jenny Williams is the conduit for many 
relationships. That's the truth. Connecting the world. (laughs) Connecting the world, yes. (laughs) So, well, Daniel, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you here. We've got uh, a lot of exciting stuff to talk about, but why don't you just, uh, let's take a second and let the folks know who you are and, and what you're doing out there in the world. Well, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, Long time listener, first time caller, as they say. Uh, And I, well, I I guess I'm a teacher first and foremost, at least as far as the amount of time I spend on it goes. I teach high school kind of English and um, I have a songwriting class, which I suppose we'll be talking about at some point here. Yeah. yeah. I teach a couple other kind of humanities-ish things. Um, I'm a singer-songwriter kind of in my, in my local regional community. Um, I have been a children's minister in the past. I, I, I don't know. That's most of it, I suppose. I'm married. I have three cats. One of them is a new kitten who is currently playing with my mic cable. Oh, fun times. Fun times. Yeah. That's probably all you need to know. <laughs> that hits the highlights. That hits the mm-hmm. highlights. Well, that's, you know, you mentioned um, your your career as a teacher and uh, a songwriting class, and that was kind of the hook um, to, to to start the conversation here. And this is what, uh, when we were, when you and I were together at Wild Goose this past year, um, you, you had either just released or were just getting ready to release, I think. Um, this album that, that kind of grew out of your songwriting class. Right. And um, so I just, I, I just, I was so interested in that and I've listened to the album uh, several times and it's, it's just really good. Um, and it's called, um, it's called some indie record. Right. And it's, yes. is it the, uh, <laughs> the, the red gold collective? Is that the, that is the name that we chose for the group. Yeah. yeah so and some so- indie record is a Taylor Swift reference. Okay. Of course. So- <laughs> <laughs> See, you say of course, but I am so out of the Swifty realm. Like, I have no yes, idea. Me I, too. I mostly could care less about what's happening in that part of the world, yeah. other than you know, I am on social media, and you can't avoid pop culture. But um, yeah, I, most of those decisions were made by students, uh, and I was there mostly just to check off and make sure that it's not an innuendo. And then I said, "Okay, sounds good." That's that's you know. <laughs> so tell us about that project. There. How how did it come about, and how did it turn into a a record um, that people can actually listen to out in the world? Man, that is that's a good question. I suppose the the genesis of it really was just the songwriting class itself. Um, I had been sort of they throw different electives at you when you're a high school teacher at least in the the area where I'm working in public high schools um they'll throw different electives at you and they'll say hey you might not know anything about this but try it see what you can teach um and usually those do not go super well you know like <laughs> typically when you tell a, a That's teacher so hard to imagine a week before they're about to teach a class that they have to suddenly become an expert in a thing yeah it's <laughs> At least the first couple of weeks go interestingly, we could say. Uh, So I had been trying to get this songwriting class, something that I actually have a little bit of experience in and a little bit of excitement about, something that I I really wanted to sort of try my hand at. Um, And that had I'd been asking for that for a couple of years. And finally, I got a songwriting class in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, just during that that year, the first year we were all online. And that uh, that first year was a little bit of a mess, but it it helped me kind of sink my teeth into the idea of what a songwriting class could look like. I, I really just spent that year thinking, man, I wish we could do this, mm-hmm. um, which of course we we couldn't in that year, but it helped me to formulate the idea of what I uh, could envision for the next version of the class kind of. And so several students from that first class 
uh, which ended up being called songwriting one. And we've called this, you know, the second iteration songwriting two, um, which focuses Forever. a little bit more on, right. Yeah. Like I was really thinking there, <laughs> um, but it, we ended up talking a lot about production and I remember the idea for actually making an album, I had thought we could we could probably visit a local recording studio. Um, I've got some kind of friends in the area that have some cool places that I'd love to show these kids and all that kind of thing. Um, and I remember thinking over winter break, I sat down uh, across the table from my wife and said, "I what you think I could make an album with these kids? Like, do you think we could just take one of each of their songs? Like some of them are pretty good. Some of them are uh, they, they still are in the process of developing their songwriting skills, but, but the experience of making an album together is, uh, and really turned out to be the thing that moved all of these students forward, um, just by leaps and bounds, the, the commitment that they brought to the table when they knew that something like that was on the line was so far above anything, you know, you, you got this little songwriting class you're together for 30 45 minutes a day um and it's hard to make any real gains there yeah. and and the difference between the the songwriters they started as in august to december it's like oh there's a little bit of difference there they've learned a couple things they've written a couple songs but the difference between like in those songs from december to may when we finally kind of finished the the production of the album not the post production um <laughs> but we finished actually kind of recording everything and and making those sorts of decisions um and that that was a really rewarding experience to see the kids in that uh setting in in a kind of recording setting um, being able to to really bounce ideas off of each other and see what works and see what doesn't uh, and have conversations that they're really invested in because they've got something on the line. That was just a really cool experience. That's really interesting how um, to, to think about how that sparked that creative, collaborative, creative process. Were you seeing that at all before or was it just something that was there, but it really took on new life once they kind of found out, oh, we're going to record this thing, you know. Honestly, I think a lot of it was, um, and I, I don't know that I'm offering a critique of society here, but I think there there was this general feeling amongst the students in that first semester before we had decided to do a, a project like this. Um, and in the first semester, they they would write these songs for, you know, a weekly or a bi-weekly songwriting thing. You just go write a song about this or whatever we're doing this week. Um, and they would share their songs with each other. And we would try to have conversations about like, what's good about this song? What maybe could improve about this song? And they had a really hard time being specific about any of that. Um, and I think that was really the thing that that got crystallized for them was the sense that like every little bit of this song needs to be as great as it can possibly be. Um, and they got really excited about, and, and they became more willing to offer critiques to themselves, but also even to each other in a, in a spirit of like, I want to help you make the best thing you yeah, can make. Yeah. And so it's not this like, oh, I hate, cause that's what they're afraid of. The first semester, they don't want to be the one that's going to say, I think the song was okay, but I thought this part really was terrible. Um, because that feels mean, right? But yeah, when yeah. when everybody has something on the line, you know that it's not really about that anymore. It's not about me being mean to you. It's about me being excited enough about the thing that you're creating to offer something to it. Uh, and and that I think was the biggest. It was a mindset change, kind of in the whole group. Oh, for sure. Well, I I want to I want to kind of to 
to kind of zone in a little bit on and that create because I think any any of us who have been in sort of those collaborative spaces where we're where you're creating something together, something happens, right? And it's it, it, and I think you described like what that process looks like when you kind of go from, you know, kind of being timid about being critical of your, you know, your co-creators or whatever, um, to, to being willing to, you know, step up and say, Hey, you know, what if we tried this? What if we do that? But something happens where like all of these sort of individual units kind of come together. Right. And, and even though like on the, on the album, like I, I assume like different those, you know, the, the songs on the album are all, a student wrote that song, you know, and, and we can kind of get into how they produced it. But it, did you experience that, like that coming together where, where all of these individual units all of a sudden become, I guess, a team, you know, maybe for a lack of a better term, where it really kind of congeals and comes together. And what was that experience like? Yeah. So the, the early stages of the album, um, and I, if I had it to do over again, I would not start in January, which is when we, when I first kind of brought the idea to the students. Uh, that was a little bit late, and I I brought it to the students and said, "Hey, do you want to do this? And if you do, buckle down because this is it's going to be a wild ride." Um, but when we started that kind of conversation in January, and started to think about like which songs might be on the album, and every student because it is uh, one song kind of per student. Uh, I put one of my own songs on there and then we did a, a Taylor Swift cover song that we decided kind of as a class. And that's where the album name comes from is from uh, what is the song called? We are never, ever getting back together. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was a, that was a fun time. We, we were all kind of able to lend different voices and instruments to that. Um, but as we started that whole process, um, one of the things that we did right up front was to have each, each student kind of share a couple of songs. And as a group, we helped to decide which song had the most potential. And a couple of them shared rather unfinished songs. Um, but then after that point, they'd, they'd kind of heard each other's songs. Uh, ultimately, the songwriter got final say on what song went on the album. And then everybody in the class kind of, it was a rather complicated situation. It Fortunately, there were only seven of them at that point. Uh, and so it was not as complicated as it could have been with more people. But uh, we had basically a, a matrix of these are the people I had them write down. You know, these are the people that I would like to have producing on my songs, making kind of decisions in the studio uh, and maybe adding instrumentation and vocals and that kind of thing. And then had those the same students kind of in the reverse way. Uh, write down which students they would like to produce for so right, which right, songs right. they were interested in lending they, they thought they had some ideas about what could make this song cool um and so we partly because it's a high school class and we were going to you know a, a studio um we always had kind of groups of three to four students for each one so each of the each of the students each of the songwriters had two producers and they would all come to the studio together and make all their decisions together and then i would be there and we'd kind of uh, hash out some ideas on the keyboard or hash out some ideas or have this person come in, bring a guitar. Uh, eventually we, we kind of added more people in, but that was where I think a lot of the really interesting collaboration started to take place was even before we got in the studio, um, where students are in class talking to each other and saying, Hey, I want to produce on your song. Will you like, if, if you write me down and I write you down, maybe we'll get to work together. Uh, and you could see them kind of getting excited 
in some sort of unpredictable ways. There were a couple of pairings that I didn't expect at all, but they had both chosen each other. And, um, and that it was just a really cool thing to, to watch students start to start to be able to hear things kind of in their imagination, um, on something that was not originally their song. And that I think was, was maybe the first time that that, that collaboration really came, yeah. came to play was when somebody started to say, I care about what you're making enough to lend something of myself to it. And I think that's a beautiful idea. Yeah. When it, when it goes from, from my thing to our thing. Right. Yeah. It's, it's amazing what that, and then the creativity that opens up from there is just always exponentially more than just what anyone could have come up with on their own. Yeah. Oh, for sure. We, and eventually we started bringing in kids from band. Uh, We had a couple featured instrumentalists come in and play. Uh, Somebody did a sax solo on one, somebody did a clarinet solo on another song. Uh, And of course, at, at various points, we also had people come in and say, Hey kid, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with this lyric and I love the way you write lyrics. Can you help me sort of figure this thing out? Or can you, whatever, just yeah, a really neat sort of camaraderie that we, we were so able cool. to build there. Very cool. Yeah. I love that process of getting to make music with other people. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, for a long time in my life, that was just through choirs And that's one kind of music making. But when you sit down and you're going to perform a song with people and you're rehearsing it and it kind of morphs, you know, along the way, that's such, there's nothing like that feeling. There's just Mm -hmm. nothing like that, that kind of collaboration. It's magical. And I'm wondering, um, also as someone who loves teenagers, I love teenagers. I love their just mercurial nature. I I love all of it. And so um, you know, as someone who obviously does care for teenagers as a uh, high school teacher. And I'm, I'm wondering what that, what that collaboration, what that music making was like together with adolescents, right? Because it's one thing yeah. when you're sitting with, um, matured musicians or seasoned musicians, and you can kind of trust each other to, to morph shape riff, all of that. What's that like doing that with adolescents? When you say doing it with adolescence, do you mean adolescence in terms of a personality or in terms of like musical experience? And no, and they're, they're, they're chronological age, who they okay. are as humans developmentally. What is, right. that, is that different than doing that with, say, when you've been in a band with adults? I, I will say, and I might, you know, I'm throwing myself under the bus here a little bit. There were times I had to remind myself that they were kids. Yeah. Um. I I think that was an interesting feature of that, that as you as you start to really collaborate and work together and get excited about this other thing over here, um, it almost starts to feel like everyone in, in that situation, um, not, not at all that people lose their individuality, but that they, I don't know, there's, there's some way in which we all are seen by each other, um, in some way through this new lens, it offers us a different way of seeing each other. Um, and that was, one of the the coolest parts of it that um, a lot of them are are seniors or were seniors last year and so have gone on to kind of be in different colleges and they're doing music things where they are um, and a couple of them I've actually gotten to work with since they graduated um, we've kind of gotten together and and jammed and and done little uh, choir reunions and things that one of them uh, is at a school two of them actually are at a school that I used to go to and sing at and so we got to sing in a choir kind of alumni concert and so those relationships have kind of been able to develop in some interesting ways but I think that was um, maybe the the most prominent thing that that came of working 
with them is that at a certain point, um, there, a couple times there, there would be moments where like your musical adolescence, and this is where I was kind of clarifying that question ah. is that their musical adolescence would remind you of, uh, or would remind me of their kind of personal, you know, growth and development adolescence, um, where they, they might have ideas that they would be really stubborn about this thing. And like, ah, you, you have not been in many bands or you have not been, <laughs> you know, you've not worked together on a creative project with other people many times in right. your life. And you don't know how to do that very well. Um, and so there, there were definitely those moments where you could sense, um, not an immaturity, but a lack of experience, kind of a, a lack of having shared those artistic creative experiences with other people. Um, yeah, I don't know if that fully answers the question or not, but. Yeah, no, I was just curious, you know, you work with students in a classroom, you're in English. Mm -hmm. A very different setting. Yeah, yeah, totally different setting. And, um, you know, if you've done any kind of ministry with adolescents, also a different setting. And I imagine this music making mm -hmm. one is kind of like somewhere in between the two, right, where you're in a studio and you're kind of punchy. And so it's, you know, kind of right, different right. than like, well, and people are texting each other and saying, Hey, would you want to bring this thing or that thing? We had a, yeah. a group me kind of app thing that you'd communicate. So somebody would send a text to the whole group and say, Hey, does anybody need anything? Uh, and so somebody would pick up a pals order and, and bring it in. Right. Uh, and it was that, that kind of, um, really in some ways, really casual. And in maybe even more so in my role, because I was, even less than when I, you know, was a children's minister or worked with youth or whatever, uh, camp counselor, all that kind of stuff. It was even less than that because my role, once they got into the studio, was just to do whatever they told me to do, um, and and to occasionally offer, okay, here's how that sounds. Here's you're talking about this. Let's mock up an idea of it and play it back to you and say, is that the effect you're going, is that what you actually want? So sometimes I'm, I'm kind of guiding their thinking a little bit uh, and asking them questions they might not be asking themselves. But ultimately it, it kind of came down to at least the moments in the studio, me just sort of sitting there in the corner of the room while they have a debate uh, and, and we're all just kind of talking, throwing out ideas, which is very, very different from any other kind of teaching experience that I've had. And, and has like, again, the most rewarding and the most probably beneficial, I think, um, those students learned more in through that experience than I would say most of my English students have ever learned from me, or most of my film students have ever learned from me, or or whatever. You know, yeah. that, you you said something there a second ago about you know you had to remind yourself that they were mm -hmm. Tina, and I can from I can remember from my own time doing like youth ministry and stuff. That was one of my favorite feelings. Yes. Like when you yeah. have to say, oh, right, right, right. These are teenagers. <laughs> right. <laughs> because at that point, you're starting to get this glimpse into like their potential maybe or. Yeah. Well, I, I hate to even put it that way because it's who they are in the moment. It's not mm -hmm. who they're going to be. But but you start to see beyond like the limitations that we place on adolescence. Um, right. And, and start to see like they're expressing something that's really important here, you know? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I love those moments. And then, yeah, every now and then one of them would do something that made you say, Oh yeah, right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that, kid's, that kid's only 16. That's precisely the behavior I should expect. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fun stuff. Was there anything in the whole project um, that really surprised you? I mean, I think we've talked a little bit about some of that stuff already. 
kind of organically, but was there anything like when you got to the end of it, the album is produced, it's on Spotify. Did anything just kind of really surprise you or blow you away about, about any of it? Do you mean musically or in terms of like when, when we're looking back at it? I mean, you're saying once it's all out there. Yeah, I mean, in any, in any, um, kind of circumstance there, whether it was, whether it was, you know, the quality of the music or, or something about the, the entire experience. Mm. What, yeah. What, what, well, I will say we got our Spotify wrapped in recently <laughs> uh, that came in, I guess, last Thursday. And I know of this because of all my students who were like right, checking right. their Spotify wrapped through the day and telling each other. Um, and I believe the whole album made it to like my top 20 songs. Nice. Um, except for the, the, one like big collaborative sort of smorgasbord mess of a Taylor Swift song that we ended up with, um, which is a bop, but it is also oh, it's a bop. It's fun. <laughs> it's it's wild. It, you have to be really in the mood for it because it goes from from genre to genre just the whole way through. Um, and also, I I don't listen to a whole lot of Taylor Swift, but I think that might be. I don't know if I'm I'm especially surprised by that, but but when I opened up my my Spotify Wrapped, it was like, oh yeah. Yeah, I spent a lot of time listening to these songs after it was done. Because um, beforehand, I mean, it did take a, largely through my own lack of planning and the fact that we started in January instead of back in August when we should have. Um, but we didn't, we got the recording done, fortunately. Um, but a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that we'd been in the studio and the students had said, okay, here's, here's generally what I want. Can we play this bass part? And we, you know, doing bass on the MIDI keyboard, that kind of thing. Um, and I, I said, okay, is that good enough for now? I'll, I'll tweak things and kind of make them sound professional. But is that generally the idea that you're going for? Um, and they would say, yeah, yeah. And so we'd, we'd kind of move on with the next step of the process because we were counting down the days a little bit. Right. Uh, and immediately after the semester ended, I went to the, the Pacific Northwest uh, for three weeks. And so <laughs> that was not especially conducive to getting the album finished promptly after school. So I think when we met in when we met at Wild Goose, I was still feeling really kind of crummy about the fact that I hadn't released it yet <laughs> because the kids were like actively waiting on me and they would they would be sending messages to the group me to say hey uh, Cooper, what is Mr. what Cooper. is up with this is this not coming out yet I thought we told people it was going to come out um but all of that like the time that you spend um just hours and hours of my summer just tweaking little tiny midi files and and sound things all that kind of stuff um was it's a different kind of listening than when you can just press play on the album and yeah. go for a run or go for a drive or, you know, have it on while you're doing the dishes or whatever. Um, and I found, I have found myself doing a lot of that, just really, really enjoying uh, particular turns of phrases in the lyrics or particular, you know, decisions that we made um, in the studio about, Oh, I want this instrument to come in here in this way. Like that sounds really good. Like that was a good choice. Um, so that has been really, really fun to kind of without, uh, without being concerned about what it sounds like to other people, just to, to sit there and appreciate the music for what it is. There's a, there's a real difference for me in, um, thinking about music for what it could be, which is its own really exciting, you know, life giving process, but then just appreciating the thing for how it turned out is, is a really cool yeah. experience too. Yeah. I never go back and listen to, to this podcast. <laughs> I listen to it while I edit it and then I'm done. <laughs> so. It did help that I was not the one singing on most of that stuff. 
(laughs) Yeah. I was going to ask you, Daniel, do you do that with your own music? By the way, for those who are listening and have never heard Daniel's music, you should. And I hope Daniel will plug himself. Um, but do you ever go back and, and listen to what you've created? I, I do. Um, a lot of it, I, cause I do have a little bit of a, an insecurity about my own voice. Mm-hmm. Not that I think it's bad, just that you're always kind of picking apart those, those things. Anytime you, you hear something that's like, well, that's me. Uh, and there's a tiny little flaw that maybe nobody else will notice, but you know, um, I, I listen back. There are some specific ones and they're not the ones that most other people listen to. Um, there's a song called beautiful, sad smile that I, I wrote a string quartet to kind of accompany the song itself. And I, you know, I had been playing it on a guitar and it, and it was such a long song and it felt like it just dragged on forever when I would play it by myself on the guitar. Uh, and so I, I wrote this string quartet and then had friends of mine who, who were like very accomplished string players come in and record the different parts. And, um, we actually were able to, to play it live once with the whole group, which was an amazing experience. Um, but that's, that's one of the ones that I go back to very often, even though it's not the best produced song that I've ever made. It's not my best mixing job. It's not my best vocal job. It's not the best song I've ever written by any means. Um, but I love to hear and just kind of imagine those four people sitting in my living room playing that music. I I love to just kind of go back to those experiences I've been a part of um, and that I've given a lot of time to even after the fact and and come back to that and just sort of sit in it and let it wash over me a little bit. You know? Yeah, that's a gift of your music for sure. Okay, now might be the fangirling part, but oh dear. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I told Daniel one time that I had um, just sort of laid back one night and just listened to uh, his album, and there's so much in it. There are so many different instruments coming in at different times, doing different things. Like "Wash Over You" is such a great way of saying it. It's there's a lot to immerse yourself in. Hmm. Um, so yes, please tell people where they can find your music. Oh, uh, well, I guess now is now the time for the the shameless plug. Um, it's on basically all the, all the internet places, um, primarily like Spotify and Apple music, um, Spotify, I'm a little bit more kind of engaged with, uh, and if you make playlists, I can see the name of them, which is very fun. Um, but, (laughs) uh, did you, that's that's a thing that I find sometimes people who don't like put music on Spotify don't realize that like artists can see the names of your playlists when you're uh, when you're going through and adding. But it's one of the best ways for people to support artists is to put their music on playlists. So uh, I'm not trying to encourage you not to, but if you don't want an artist to see a particular playlist name, maybe choose a different name. <laughs> um, but anyway, Spotify. This is Spotify, my Daniel Cooper sucks playlist. <laughs> that's exactly yeah, right. Like, hate, hate listen. <laughs> <laughs> there are some really charming names as well, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm on Spotify and Apple music and all those places. Uh, Daniel Cooper, it's C O U P E R is how my last name spelled, which is a little funky, but it is how it is. Um, and then I've, I've got a website, danielcoopermusic.com and there's a band camp, uh, that you can get to through the website or just by search. I think all of this comes up because my name is spelled so weirdly when you type in Daniel Cooper with the U, uh, it pretty, it pretty immediately comes up on Google. So that's, is that that a Canadian spelling of? I believe it's Scottish actually. (laughs) Uh, I mean, we did come from Canada, but, but it was in Scotland that that change was made. Yeah. That's uh, so, you know, kind of 
keep them with this track of the conversation. Um, you're a, you're a tremendous musician in your own right. Um, and you, you do a lot with, with your family. Uh, you know, I got to, to see you and your wife, Betsy, uh, mm-hmm. perform together at Wild Goose and your, and your sister, Valerie, um, yes. who is also just amazing. Um, what's, what's that like, you know, making music with your family and, um, and some, you know, making those hard, like you say, those choices you have to make sometimes in songs. And, um, is that, what's that experience like for you? Yeah, it is. It's a really interesting experience. Um, and it's different, like to, to work with my wife is a different experience than to work with my sister. Um, and, and to work with, I've, I've had my whole family is on the first album that I put out, uh, in different ways. Not like I, I try to work them in family and friends and all kinds of people in as much as I can. Um, just because I, I love that dynamic, but a lot of times I end up, uh, with an album, I'm the one who kind of has an idea in my head. And then I ask, like, I, I'm really hearing your voice on this. Can you come in and, and sing this thing? Um, and and so working in more of a, especially with my sister's uh, stuff that she she brought to Wild Goose this year, um, because that, that was, was so yeah, that was all her original songs. Uh, and I was sitting in mostly as a producer. I was, I also happened to be sitting in as a drummer, which was not uh, my cup of tea, but I, I really enjoyed doing it. It's not my strong suit, we, sh- we could say. Um, and so that was a very different kind of experience, being the one just kind of behind the scenes, uh, not actually making the decisions, but but being able to suggest things and, and having some of that trust because uh, we have worked together before. Um, that's a, that's a really cool thing to be able to, to do is to, you know, have your little sister who is, she's like 10 years younger than me. And it's kind of like taking one of these students, um, except all that much more precious because it's my sister, you know? Uh, and, and you get to say like, you have a lot of talent. Um, let's, let's work together. Let's take the, the little bit of experience that I've got and, uh, and some of the connections and the friendships and all that, that I have with, with other musicians. And let's see if we can make this sound the way that you want to. Um, and so it typically when we're working together, there does end up being one person who's sort of the decision maker, but we find a, a kind of, uh, a flow and an ebb and flow kind of where we each, um, whether it's with my wife or with my brothers or with my sister or whatever, uh, we end up being able to kind of give and take, uh, and bring up ideas and that kind of thing. I bet holidays are a blast at your house. <laughs> they they can be for sure. <laughs> they do get loud from time to time. <laughs> so, uh, Jenny, you I, I hated that you missed out on on one of the moments that Daniel and Betsy and my daughter Amanda and I got to have together at Wild Goose. Mm-hmm. We did we did um, Christmas beer and hymns at the Presbyterian tent in the middle of june or july whenever Uh, it was hilarious it was so funny and beautiful just a beautiful moment (laughs) but you know betsy's bringing in the high harmonies and stuff Mm -hmm. and you know everything's sounding great right that's awesome that's incredible i've I've got a great picture of daniel daniel in a santa claus hat that that may or may I think not it's be. on top of another hat, actually. It is. That's right. Yeah, it's on top of like a, that. It may or may not be the cover mm-hmm. image for this episode of the. Oh dear! <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll prepare myself. I might not listen to this episode back. We'll see. We <laughs> just skip it in the feed. So, uh, go ahead, Jenny. Go ahead. Well, I'm wondering: is it okay to switch gears a little bit? 
It's fine yeah. with me. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So folks might be wondering, well, why, you know, why is Daniel on this podcast? Why is Joe bringing on this English teacher and, and songwriter to talk about making music with teenagers? And, um, yeah. And I, I just wanted to say that Daniel's a person who's undergone a fairly serious deconstruction process. And, um, and that's part of how I think all of us have bonded. And I'm curious, um, what you'd like to share about that. I don't want to poke around in it too much, but there might be, um, a part of your story that you want to share, or, um, you might just sort of want to share where you are right now. Um, whatever feels, feels comfortable to you. Uh, most of the folks who listen to this are going through some sort of deconstruction process. So any, mm-hmm. any little snippet you might want to share any snapshot along the way might just resonate with someone. Um, so I'm just curious to hear any kind of reflection you might want to share on that. Yeah. I, uh, first of all, I think that the past tense deconstruction, uh, is probably not, it's hard to say when deconstruction stops and reconstruction begins and what what that interplay really looks like. Um, for me, it has been very much both at the same time and also something else. And I'm not sure, you know, whatever all these other kind of factors and and feelings that come into that as well. But yeah, it's hard to stick language to it, not to interrupt. But that's, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things at, at this past Wild Goose Festival, there was like a lot of like very specific deconstruction. Like it's always kind of in the air at Wild Goose, but it, it seemed to be like really sort of a, a central theme kind of unintentionally this year. But a lot of the conversation was like, I, I don't really even know what language to use to describe mm-hmm. what I'm experiencing. So yeah, sorry to interrupt. Right. But, uh, yeah. 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 So I, I think at this particular moment and, and I expect it to change, you know, next week or however long from now, um, I am... I'm finding a lot of life in Advent um, and maybe more specifically in memories of Advent traditions that I have held, um, maybe more than active Advent traditions that I'm participating in. Um, I have some some sort of personal experience with churchiness in general that I'm, I'm sort of sorting through. Um, while also, I, I think for the last probably year or so, I have been maybe a year and a half. Um, I've been fairly openly. I, there was a point that that came where I just sort of opened up. I was holding on to the the sort of Christian label and and certain Christian practices, and not really willing to say like I I don't know if I'm a Christian. Um, and for the last year and a half, I've been pretty comfortable saying I'm not sure, and I'm okay with that, and just sort of letting that uh, releasing the the outcome of all of that um and not releasing it in a way that's like oh i hope that by releasing this it comes back to me in the end or whatever because uh, i feel yeah, like sometimes yeah. you can have an ulterior motive when you're uh when you make that sort of a decision or you you tell yourself that um but there was a a really kind of open place that came where i i was i became just kind of comfortable um if if need be i'm willing to let this all go um, and so that has been kind of the last year and a half until sort of more recently. Um, and I'm not sure if it started, it would have started a little bit before Wild Goose probably, but then uh, some of the conversations and some of the things uh, that we even, um, oh, who was it that we went together, Joe, um, to, oh, I can't remember his name, but he was talking about, it was a, it was kind of a question and answer session between these two guys that have a podcast 
and I have listened to it before, but I, oh, uh, I'm it, not um, thinking of their names right PMs? now. But they were, yes, PMs, it was Pete. That's exactly right. Bible for normal people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for that. Um, and, and they were talking about the Bible and its value in ways that, that made me go like, yes, I forgot how valuable this thing is. And I forgot that the Bible and church, church traditions and kind of Christian community, all of this stuff is really important to me still, uh, which was a really kind of bright, exciting moment for me. Um, and of course, the bright, exciting moment is almost always followed by one of those like, oh, crap, I'm still in the valley. Like it, you have the little bright moment, but that doesn't mean you're out of it yet. Um, and so the the last couple of months, I've been mostly in a place where I'm sort of rediscovering what it means to be. I've, I've been going back to a church uh, service, midweek church service um, that has given me a lot of life over the years. And I'm going back in a capacity that is not um, not particularly service oriented. That's one of my personal uh, bits of baggage with church is is the feeling that I have kind of been trained or perhaps trained myself. Um, and we could talk about Enneagram numbers and all kinds of things if we wanted to, but um, play your drinking drinking game, take your shot if, if that's the, <laughs> the thing that we're doing. Um, but uh, there there is an element of of myself that just immediately gets into a communal experience like that and says, I'm going to do stuff. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to become essentially the poster child for this community in a particular way. Um, and, and so I've been able to sort of rejoin some communities in a timid kind of way, but I think with a healthy level of timidity to, to say, I'm, I'm willing to come you know, whenever I'm free to come to church instead of making sure that I'm there every week and that people can see my face and that all that kind of stuff. Um, and that has been a really beautiful kind of experience. And then again, leading back into Advent, which is a, not something that I'm participating in super actively, um, but I'm I'm letting myself just kind of be filled with, I've got a, an Advent playlist that I love. It's probably it's my second favorite playlist that I have made. And I really love making playlists. Uh, so if you find me on Spotify, that's where my playlists are also. Um, they, I don't have many followers on them. I just, I really like them, but it's this like 11 hour playlist, of just <laughs> Advent songs that um, some of them are hymns. Some of them are, you know, very, they're, they're sort of unorthodox Advent things. They're, it's all these sort of themes of um, hope and light and darkness and waiting and frustration and all of those kind of adventy things. I feel like uh, if there's any church season that hangs on to you when you're trying to leave faith, it's Advent. It's wow, it's yeah. that one that like not in an aggressive way, but just in a like maybe you hang on to it. It's it's hard to let go of. It's hard to say, you know, I'm I'm done with longing for a better world. Um, that like you, I can let go of a lot of things about Christianity, but that's not really one of them. I, I think, you know, wherever I end up going, I will still be an Advent person. Um, and, and of course I, I was listening to your podcast from, I don't know when this is going to come out, but perhaps it was the last episode, uh, the deconstructing Advent. <laughs> it was podcast. a previous episode, <laughs> a previous episode, Decon deconstructing Advent. Um, and, and I really, I, I appreciate a lot of those kind of needing to deconstruct some things about Advent, but I came to Advent as someone who had never heard of it, um, as a, a very kind of evangelical, um, sort of Pentecostal assemblies of God, charismatic, all that kind of stuff. And we didn't do Advent at all. Uh, and so I came to Advent 
much more recently and and have found it almost entirely to be a life-giving thing when I realized you didn't have to immediately start celebrating Christmas after Thanksgiving. Um, it was it was almost this blessing. It was a gift to say, no, there's time for some longing. There's time for you to say everything is dying out there, like the leaves on the trees and all the plants and all that kind of stuff. But But also like not everything is okay. And you're allowed to pay attention to that during this season. Um, and, and I just really, I am finding life again in that, uh, in that sense. I think it shares a lot uh, in common with New Year's, which is my favorite sort of non-sacred holiday. I, I love that New Year's is a space for uh, a similar kind of thing. It's, it's taking the good and the bad, the beauty and the brokenness, the sort of looking forward while also looking back. It's an ending. It's also a beginning. It's this night that is made for every feeling. And I love, I love that. And I feel some of that in Advent. It's the, you know, the beginning of the church year. We're moving towards something exciting, but we're not there yet. There's just so much, um, there's so much nuance in it. There's so much space for people to belong, whatever that means to them. So that's giving me a lot of life right now. So that may be the opposite of deconstruction in that particular element of that. But, you know, that's exactly. Yeah. Go ahead, Jenny. Yeah, that's so great. It's funny because when you first mentioned Advent right at the beginning of that, I was like, I think Daniel and I had a conversation about Advent forever ago. So I looked it up while you were talking and it was three years ago um, in the Collection Connection um, Facebook group. where someone had said, you know, what about making end of the year playlists or Christmas playlists? And Daniel just went straight for Advent um, in the conversation. And so it's it's actually really encouraging as someone who was in local church ministry and really felt feel like the liturgical year is important. It's so encouraging um, to hear the formative nature of that mm. season and how it's still there within you. Um, even when you don't know about all the rest of it, <laughs> right? right, right? I mean, <laughs> just to say these things are not, um, they're not distant and, and highly ecclesial. They're, they're, um, they're the human condition, right? Mm-hmm. Advent and Lent and all of that. Um, yeah, I, I'm just so, I'm, I'm grateful as a pastor to hear that I'm yeah. personally glad that Advent still has meaning for you, knowing mm-hmm. that that conversation was three years ago, right? right. And knowing that was probably the <laughs> the point in my life when I was uh, not admitting to myself that I I may be at, I may have been at the beginning admitting to myself three years ago, but I I was not really admitting it to other people that I was yeah. willing to kind of I'm deconstructing, like I'm I'm definitely and not in just the you know replace a board here and there. Uh, right. But like a very, yeah. very holistic, I'm starting to take things apart here and and try to sort out what remains uh, if you if you take out these really foundational damaging elements and you're trying to swap them out real quick with another board or whatever, like what what ends up happening there? Yeah. Uh, and I was not being completely honest with at least not with you know everyone in my life at that point. So it is something that has kind of held on to me through. I just love that perspective. You know, Jenny and I both grew up in the United Methodist world and Advent. We kind of just, I anyhow, just took it for granted. Um, mm. and, and as I did say in that previous episode of the podcast, it was just the warm up to Christmas. You know, it was, right. it was the time that you do all of the things you do to get ready, you know, not so much spiritually, although I suppose there was some of that in there, but it was just 
the logistical part advent was when you took care of all the logistics for Christmas, you know, and that was even in church, like that was how I perceived it, even as, you know, a, a 10 or a 12 year old, maybe. So to hear, <clears throat> to hear your perspective on how you've kind of discovered advent post, you know, um, evangelical mm. Christianity. Yeah. It was just, college I, I love it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just, it's such a it's such a cool perspective uh, to consider. Yeah. Mm. Interesting stuff. I, yeah. There are hours of things that I would like to talk about with you, my friend. Oh, man. We are. We <laughs> I are, just refrained from saying something because it would open a whole new can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that's Same. why we get together at Wild Goose every year, right? Right. Uh, yes. So, and Late we, nights uh, by the campfire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's going to be the next. You, you mentioned the Enneagram drinking game. I think um, whiskey <laughs> and campfires might be another accidental tomatoes drinking because it seems like about the end of every episode somebody says boy if we had a bottle of whiskey and a good <laughs> right. we could really get into this you know? <laughs> somebody is that somebody named joe webb <laughs> almost always but not exclusively not exclusively is it always yeah. joe webb, but sometimes yeah Actually, did you say that in the last episode where you were just talking by yourself because I, I would God, like I to hear not. that. <laughs> if I'm saying that, <laughs> Man, I could really get into this if I then, just had some. Um, I need somebody with the right letters after their name to to start talking to. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> well, Daniel, thank no you so much. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, I really could just carry this conversation on for a long time, um, but I, I'm so I'm so thankful that you spent some time um, talking about the the project with the students and and your own music and your own. I appreciate your vulnerability in, in talking about your own deconstruction because that's kind of why we do this thing, right? So, mm-hmm. um, because we're all in different places with it, everybody experiences it in a different way. Um, and so I think the more that we can tell our stories, um, the more we can connect with folks who are having that kind of experience and, and help them know that there's, there is, there's some hope somewhere in the world, right? And there's, there's things to be excited about and and good music is certainly one of those things. So tell us again, before mm-hmm. we log out uh, where folks can find you, um, find your music and listen to it. Um, well, they can find me in Elizabethan, Tennessee. Um, <laughs> they can find my music on Spotify and Apple music and all that kind of stuff. As Daniel, we're going to find out right now if you. there's any stalkers on the accidental tomatoes. Yeah, I guess uh, so. <laughs> I, I maybe should have checked with my wife before I revealed that information, but you know, Elizabethan, it's not a big town, but there are enough people in it. You might get confused if you came looking for me. Um, I yeah, I've, I've got stuff on on the internet, on the streaming services, and that kind of thing. So feel free to listen. And then the Red Gold Collective uh, also has Spotify, Apple Music, uh, and all of that kind of stuff. You can find the Red Gold Collective. I believe it's called Volume One, which implies you know later volumes. Uh, some indie record, some indie record. Y'all go find it and listen to it and enjoy it. And add it to your playlists with interesting and creative names so that Daniel can figure out who's listening to what out there. I would love that. Yes. <laughs> Jenny, anything else for the good of the cause? Strangely, I'm silent. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm not really sure what to do with that. It's a silent night over here. <laughs> it's the wise, pensive silence. That's that's it. The wise, pensive silence. Well, Daniel and Jenny, both of you, I'm, I'm grateful for this time we spent together. Um, hope that we can all be together in the same place again soon um, and, and having a good time together and uh, just continue making some great music out there, man. We appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been a blast. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Daniel. 
That was such a great conversation with Daniel. Uh, he's always just such a joy to talk to and uh, so insightful to listen to all of the observations that he made through um, through that through the songwriting class and their recording process, um, as well as um, the things that he had to say about his own deconstruction journey. Um, hope hope you were inspired uh, by by the things that Daniel shared with us here today. As always, if you have any comments or feedback on this episode or suggestions for future episodes, please reach out to us on our social media channels. Just do a search for Accidental Tomatoes uh, and drop us a note there, or you can send us an email at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And so until next time, my friends, keep on growing outside the fences and join us for another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes Podcast.